I'm Dr. Stephanie Munt. And I'm Dr. Ellie Summers. And this is Two Women Running Their Mouths, a podcast for women who run by women who run. Our 80-20 rule, 80% dishing, 20% running. running their mouths. Today, I'm super excited to talk about labral tears of the hip. Of the hip. Yes. And we're going to be turning this a little bit around and interviewing Steph um, since she has a history of labral tear and discussing her experience with it and then trying to make recommendations and guidance if you are somebody who has dealt with a labral tear in your hip on what to expect. So I think first things first, maybe we need to go over what a labral tear is. Um, why don't you? All right, so you've got a structure called a labrum on the basically between your upper leg bone and your pelvis. And it acts to kind of create this negative pressure system to keep that this, the joint moving. It's like a ball and socket, so to keep that um, stable and also to provide some cushioning and joint lubrication. So um, it has a purpose and when it's torn, it can change the kind of that pressure system. And so sometimes people will feel clicking, popping, some like feelings of instability there and sometimes pain. Now people have tears without having pain. People can have hip pain without having tears. It's not super clear cut, but um, at its most basic level, it's a tear in that structure inside the socket. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience um, when you started noticing hip pain specifically? And so, yeah, so mine came on, uh, let's see, it was December, 2018. And I had been running fairly consistently um, since that past July, I took a few weeks off because I actually had a little bit of hip pain in June. And I took like two or three weeks off thinking it was a stress fracture because of my history. Tried running again, which I don't advise. <laughs> and it felt fine after a couple of weeks. So I, it must, I figured it must not have been a stress fracture. I didn't know what it was. Um, but then I continued running, ramped up my mileage into the fall, stopped strength training, uh, was a little bit more stressed, stopped sleeping as much. And then December, 2018, I, I started having some around Thanksgiving and had a race, uh, I think it was December 3rd and just had a lot of pain through that race and finished a lot slower than I'd hoped. And, uh, then the week after I was limping and thought I should do something about it. So instead of actually doing something about it, I just rested. <laughs> <laughs> that stubbornness as physical yeah. therapists really comes out sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I, I think to myself, well, I've had, it's probably, I thought it was a femoral stress fracture because it presented much differently than a classic labral tear. Um, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, and what you can look for as well to, to help differentially diagnose if you're a PT or other clinician to help you differentially diagnose uh, femoral stress fracture versus possible labral or posterior labral tear specifically. Um, but I just did what I would normally do for a bone injury. And, uh, I mean, I wouldn't do this for my patients, I'd send them for an MRI and then we'd start doing rehab. But for myself, 
I just started swimming, uh, did, then started to gradually reload my leg and it did not feel any better. So that's when I had an MRI and the results were, I think it was, I remember specifically someone saying like, oh, that's a big tear. I think it was 15 millimeters mm. posterior superior labral tear. So what that means is that it was more towards the back and the top. And typically, at least what we learn about in PT school, you'll see the labral tear more in the front anterior, and that leads to groin pain, sometimes thigh pain, um, pain in deep squats with flexion, pain sometimes with like sitting and stairs. And mine presented quite differently. It was more, it was a little bit in the anterior thigh, had some pain on the side of my hip, and some towards the back, like in the hamstring area in my sacrum. Um, never had any clicking or popping. Um, extension didn't feel great for me, full extension. Um, and I realized that I had been kind of pushing into trying to gain more hip extension that past July. I'd been doing oh, a lot of, of end range hip extension stuff. So who knows if that's what, what initially irritated it, but um, just a little bit different than the, the classical presentation. Yeah, yeah, what would you say is a classical presentation? So typically what, we're, what we see is um, signs of, or reports of clicking, popping, feelings of instability, pain more towards the, the groin region, um, and like flex positions, deep squats might be painful. Um, and then again, I think sitting is generally an irritating factor and that was for me as well. Yeah. So after you kind of like figured out and learned through MRI that you had a labral tear, what was like the next thing for you? What was on the table at that point? Then it was, well, first it's like all of my knowledge and sense left my brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what is this? What, what do I do with this? I mean, I learned about this in school. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and so I actually, I think the first thing I did was reach out on the runner zone oh. because on, uh, Chris Johnson's group on Facebook, because I, it's a resource for clinicians who work with runners and endurance athletes. And I wanted to work with someone or get the advice of someone specifically who worked with runners. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got in touch with Lindsay Plass who's a great resource for FAI, femoral acetabular impingement and labral tear info. And Renee Hodges was in my area. She's a physical therapist here. So um, first thought was, you know, do I need surgery or do I not? Um, yeah. And um, after talking to Lindsay, who worked through hers conservatively, after talking to Renee, um, I felt like I could manage it conservatively. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started doing very, it was, it was really tough, very <laughs> low level, tiny ranges of motion, um, really just trying to get pain under control. Um, sleeping was really uncomfortable. And, uh, like I told you Ellie earlier, I think it was about three months of pretty significant pain and just some walking, um, some swimming, but not a ton of activity. And around that three month mark before that, that turning point, I did consider surgery. I reached out to a couple surgeons in the area because it, it just felt like it was going to go on forever. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what came, what came of that? And why do you think you went the conservative route? 
I think the, the the first thoughts that went through my head because I had talked to Lindsay and Renee and they were um, not, I wouldn't say either one pushed me towards that, but they gave me the facts of yeah. conservative treatment is just as effective outcomes that they're finding are just as effective two years out as surgery. Mm-hmm. And I had heard some, I don't, I wouldn't say horror stories, but some stories about people who had the surgery and still had the same pain. And that's, that's the last thing I wanted. Um, however, when you get to a point of desperation <laughs> and you, you're thinking maybe I'm the exception, right? Like, yeah. okay, this has worked for some other people, but sometimes surgery is the answer. And I distinctly remember seeing Renee. And this is why I think when you're, you know, if you're dealing with something significant, you re- like really need to have another person on your team to chat with about this. And she just said, you know, you know, the outcomes of surgery as well as I do. Ultimately, this is your decision and I'll support you. But you also, you've read the same studies that I have and you know the possibilities. And um, we also really delved into what the, my pain perceptions were and what the pain meant to me. And I think that was a turning point in how I managed and perceived the pain that I was having as well. Yeah. Yeah. What did the pain mean to you? Oh, it meant that I was a terrible physical therapist because I couldn't help myself. That was never, it was very, very dramatic. (laughs) I think that's a very normal response to pain for anyone who, uh, honestly is an athlete. And then as a physical therapist, same thing. So I just want to normalize that because yeah, I think it's very easy to self-deprecate our own yeah. <laughs> experience, but it's threatening. So go on. Oh, 100%. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It meant that I was never going to run again. Yeah. I, and that would lead to, you know, as someone with, and we've talked about this multiple times with a history of eating disorder and still managing body image issues, it meant that I was going to change completely and not be fit anymore, quote, right? I wasn't going to look the way I wanted to. Basically my whole life was going, was tumbling downhill because then that's what this pain meant. And to say it out loud was so eye-opening. Like I had, I hadn't really distinguished that prior to that question. And so I think think that's a really important question to be asking ourselves and our, our patients as well, because once that's unpacked, it really changed how I related to my pain. Yeah. And I, I, actually saw a change in my function and my pain experience like for the better that's when things started to turn around yeah it's like a little bit of a release almost like realizing why this is so meaningful to you Mm -hmm. and being able to point to that can sometimes help open the door definitely yeah and I think an important point that I, I didn't mention after I said all those things, you know, I'm bawling. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Renee goes, is, is all of that true? It's like, yeah, no. <laughs> Damn it, Renee. <laughs> exactly. I guess not. Yeah. 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 Asking the tough questions. And I think, you know, that's what great physical therapists can do is ask you the tough questions. And when you're a physical therapist yourself and being in that position, you know, it's, it's hard to remain objective 
if not impossible. I don't know right. if it is possible. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's very fascinating trajectory of story there. I love hearing about it. Um, what happened next? So you're, you know, you're diagnosed with labral tear. You're kind of going through the stages, frustrated with rehab. Um, and then you have that conversation and it moves you forward. How, if you can recall, how do you remember progressing forward from there, getting back to running? From there, I upped my walking a little bit. Um, I think I was doing 30 minute walks a couple times a week up to 45 and then just very gradually, like it was probably more like every two weeks or every month by month, increased range of motion and the strength exercises that I was doing. And then, um, with, you know, there's, there's knowing that there will be flare ups and, mm -hmm. um, I would have, I have a, a few exercises that are my go-tos during those times. And I actually have not had a flare up now, gosh, probably over a year, honestly. Knock on wood. Nice. Yeah, knock on wood, right. But <laughs> if that happens, I know what to do. Um, and yes. so I would have certain exercises that I would go to and just know that I might have to modify my activity for a day or two. Um, but really just emphasizing multiplanar hip strength and working into greater ranges of motion. And one other thing that Lindsay, I learned from Lindsay too, that's really changed, I think, how I manage myself and other people is um, similar to how we work, we deal with tendons and muscle injuries. If pain is three, maybe four, subjectively out of 10, I can keep going and it's mm -hmm. going to be fine. Yeah. You know, provided that it doesn't flare up later, it's not worse 24 hours later, that kind of thing. But it really did work. Like I started running, it was painful. It wasn't pain-free, but as I continued running over the course of several months, that pain went away. Yeah. It's almost like my body was just desensitizing to that motion, yeah. but it exactly. was a very gradual, like starting off with 30 seconds of jogging, two and a half minutes of walking, yeah. repeated a few times, then go up to a minute. So it was very, very gradual. You got to go through some humility there. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Although I did, I, I didn't admit this, but over the Arizona summer is when I was starting. And so I didn't mind cardiovascularly. Oh. Like, oh, darn, I have to stop after two minutes. <laughs> I definitely don't have to catch my breath, but I will stop because. <laughs> so hot. <laughs> so hot. Yeah. yeah. So it was a nice way to, to work into it, but definitely humbling when you look at that calendar and you're like, I'm not gonna be running 30 minutes straight for three or four months. What's the point? Right. Totally. Um, yeah. Something that I liked that Lindsay Plass said at one point as well. So for those of you who are listening, Lindsay is in the Chicagoland area. If you need a physical therapist, she's fabulous. Um, she likened um, the, like she used the metaphor of a hip bank and, you know, you need to put in deposits into your hip bank if you want to take withdrawals. I don't know if you kind of thought of it that way ever. Um, no, I, she may have said that to me at one point, but it didn't stick with me as what I think it will now. That's, that's a yeah. really good concept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I'm curious to know too, what exercises seem to work for you in some of that recovery process? I, starting off, it was a lot of quadruped things, hands and knees, um, even just 
rocking, crawling, <laughs> kind of loading the joint. Um, and um, bridges were never, never too bad. Staying in those middle ranges of motion was important. Um, yeah, not hyperextending into full extension. Exactly. Like yes. A, like a hip bridge. Yeah. Yeah. That's very small. Um, modified side planks to start really just bringing a lot of exercises down to, to a lower level that would challenge muscles around the hip and, um, but not irritate it too much. Yeah. Um, so those I would do some, I would continue to work on. I realized I could still do like leg extensions. I could still do things at the gym, yeah. small leg press, hamstring curls, calf raises. Um, and then adding adductor planks made yeah. a huge difference. I could not believe how weak I was with the, the Copenhagen's. And now um, I still do those. And I think that would be considered then probably why it's not like I do nothing for my hip now, right? It's right. probably why I have not had a flare up is that I do adductor planks, side planks, um, single leg bridges, um, like plank shoulder taps for just hanging out in that extension, doing some rotational mm -hmm. trunk endurance one or two times a week yeah. too close to fatigue. Yeah. And it sounds like it's just a part of your normal routine now. It's not like, it's not like you're going into the gym being like, I absolutely have to do these things for my hip. It's like, this is a part of my routine. These are a part of the exercises that help keep me holistically strong and healthy. Exactly. Yes. That's 100% yeah. it. Um, and really just from there, those basic exercises, gradually increasing them. Um, like I did mini front squats, things that would take a little bit of, uh, of range of motion out of the hip before moving to back squats. Um, yeah, just gradually progress range into deadlifts and then single leg RDLs. So it was kind of like taking what a typical strength program would be for what I would say for a runner and just bringing it back to like the very basics as if I was like a third grader starting <laughs> <laughs> and I was blocked in my range of motion and then just very, very gradual progressions. But with that said there, it was easy to get to fatigue on a lot of those, um, yeah. I could some isometric holds or hold heavier weight than I normally would if I was going full range. Yeah. Um, so it was still, I was still Impressive. able to, mm -hmm, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of quad atrophy on that side. So that was, that was eye-opening too, seeing yeah. how much smaller that leg got. Um, yeah. But that came back. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> because you worked on it and you progressively loaded back up to where you want to be. And now you're running mm -hmm. and you got yeah. back to running. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And back I think that's, yeah. Back to I all did the a, Yeah. I did a 15K uh, a little over a year after. Yeah. And was, was training. I was running like 30, 40 miles a week. So yeah. 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 It's been, I can't, it's hard to, you know, when you have an experience that feels very, I mean, we're always like very present or anxious about the future or thinking <laughs> about the past. Right. But when you're in it, it feels like it's going to be impossible. And then once you're, you know, and this could be related to any experience, right. Once you're six months out, a year out, when you think back to it, you can't, possibly like get back to that that feeling of being being there and so it's like wow yeah. was I really that upset then yeah. like I really felt like I wasn't <laughs> gonna get out of it and now I'm like it feels like I'm a different person yeah that's that's an interesting reflection because when you're in it it's it's very um yeah it's dark I guess you could say yeah yeah, yeah. 
it's just dark in that place (laughs) and it's hard to see the way out um, sometimes which is why soliciting help can be so invaluable um, to getting help and I think with this particular injury I'm wondering if some of the listeners might be curious about you know surgery versus non-surgery so surgery versus conservative. So Steph is obviously a success story of conservative treatment, but I think probably a good portion of people who have labral tear do what you do, which is considered surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you know about that? Like as a physical therapist, what are, what's your knowledge there and what might you um, recommend to folks? So my, my recommendation for most, uh, I mean, non- emergent conditions is to work on, work conservatively. Now this has to be with a, you know, a specific and sensible program. Unfortunately, sometimes people are working on something, air quotes, for the the time that I think is appropriate, which varies from condition, but I think at least six months for most of these things, Mm -hmm. up to a year. Um, But it's not as intentional and it's not their fault. It's just that with the healthcare system as it is, people don't get enough specialized attention for things like this. It's a lot of times this cookie cutter program. No one has the time to delve into the emotional experience behind it, which can definitely be a contributing factor to your pain and was in my case as well. So um, I would definitely say at least six months working on something. Think of it as like your it was almost, almost felt like a part-time job, which is exhausting and yeah. why you need help too, um, and support. Um, but really like, as if I started thinking about it as if I had surgery, like in my brain. Okay. So what exercises would I do if I was just coming out of surgery and my body is going to start the healing process? You know, yeah. maybe nobody went and tied things together, but <laughs> we know that we know that that may not be necessary and definitely isn't actually necessary for you to function normally. So I would suggest that conservative care to start off, find someone who is knowledgeable if you can in that area and specific to runners too, because I think oftentimes I've seen that people look pretty good on the table and they can do a squat and they're like, all right, go try running a mile. And Mm -hmm. that, that may just flare up and then make you think that again, you're, you're going to fail at running like be the headed to the dark place exactly yeah Yeah. so I think someone who's who's knowledgeable in that area is really important um that said you know I think there there are times when surgery is indicated I don't have specific criteria for that I think that's an individual basis um I just think it's really important that if if this is something you're dealing with as a healthcare provider or as a patient that you go the conservative route first and if you are not seeing the progress you want and you've discussed that with your clinician that you seek multiple opinions from from multiple orthopedic docs um, because some are going to be on the end of wanting to operate more some are going to be like oh no right. keep doing this and i think it's powerful to get opinions um, that are in line and reassuring with what you're doing as well right um that's the other thing that i was going to say yeah yeah what would you say? Because I'm curious about your experience. Work. I know you haven't had one, but working with people with, with this condition. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, huge bias coming into play here. I think if you want to recover conservati- conservatively, 
from a labral pathology in your hip, you can and you will. Um, that's a huge bias. I think that surgical outcomes, at least in the scientific literature, aren't fabulous. And so, you know, you're just weighing like the risk reward of things and what's going to be right for you and what you're willing to live with and deal with. Um, you know, someone like you, you, you went through that dark phase and then you get to the point where you have no pain anymore mm -hmm. and it's gone. And you're, you know, you're hiking, you're biking, you're lifting, you're running, you're doing, you're not just getting back to a functional life. You're getting back to your life. And I think that as a physical therapist, I think it's my duty to show people that that's a possibility and a strong possibility at that. Um, but, and I say, but if they've already been to a physician who has recommended surgery, it is much harder to show people the light after that's happened. Um, because it's very dark at that point. <laughs> Cause if you don't want surgery and your doc says that the only option is surgery, that's a very, very tough position to be in for anyone. Um, so, you know, we know people can recover conservatively and I think that everyone deserves that opportunity and that chance to give it a try, which is why I will always say, go to a physical therapist first, <laughs> if you can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Give it time, you know, ultimately right. after surgery anyway, you're not going to be doing your normal things for right. four to six months. Right. So know that it's, it's going to take time. You know, our bodies heal at the rate they heal. Right. <laughs> I don't know what else to say besides that. Right. It's usually longer than we would like. Um, but it's going to heal. Like yes. your body's made for that, provided yes. that you give it the right environment. Yes, that is so key. And I think, I think, you know, your story is a, a very clear demonstration of that. And I think it's a very um, relatable story too, because, you know, of how difficult <clears throat> that time was and how like when you're in it, it's really hard to see the way out. And so you're willing to try things that you might not want to try or do <clears throat> um, to get you out of it. And sometimes it's just like staying patient, working the plan, um, finding the right provider to help you <clears throat> work the plan and moving forward from there. So absolutely. thank you for sharing that story with us. Yes, absolutely. And to, to your point of do, things you don't want to do, of like in that dark spot, waking up, in pain, thinking, all I get to do today is crawl on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do that. You know, there are definitely days, I multiple days, I would not stick to the plan. I knew movement was going to be good for me, but thinking that that's the only movement that I was, quote, allowed or could tolerate, and I was yeah. sick of it, and it didn't make me happy, then I would skip movement altogether. And not that that was maybe, you know, the best decision for my body, but for my brain and for my emotional health, yeah. it may have been. So I understand that from, from that perspective as well. Yeah. Uh, like just, you know, being so overwhelmed that you just take a day off or you don't do your swim workout and you just, you know, pick back up when you're, when you're ready. But also there's, there's something to getting out there on the days that you don't feel like it as well. Right. Just getting the 
you know, just going through it. Like, all right, yeah. I don't want to do this. And I'm swimming doing through the mud. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Through the mud. That's actually probably how it looks when I swim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. You're just in it, doing the work and staying patient. And I, and when it comes to pain too, sometimes I'll use a pain and suffering like scale. And I think this is really useful in this type of rehab too, is like there's pain on one side and then there's suffering on the other side. And as a therapist and as a coach, I'm okay with a little bit of pain. A little bit of pain is not going to completely derail someone where I think problems can arise and develop is when suffering enters in and suffering is, I mean, just like pain, a very individual experience. And I think it's when like the joy of activity starts to be sucked away where every day is dark. Um, you know, and at a certain point you have to like navigate what you're okay with, but I think suffering is the point where I'm saying, okay, how do we course correct? How do we adjust? How do we, you know, scoop the mud out for you to make this a little bit easier moving forward? Um, because it is hard, you know, pain is, pain is maybe a part of that rehab process. And I think pain is very scary for folks. Um, I don't think I know it is. Yeah. 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 And that pain does not always equal suffering. Or it doesn't, right. it doesn't equal suffering. Right. It could coexist, but yeah. that's an important yeah. point. Yeah. And you know, like some people are okay with certain degrees of pain and some people aren't. And I think, you know, there's a spectrum there. There's like maybe a, um, a spectrum of somebody who's pushing so much into the well of pain that it's a problem. And then there's people who are maybe a little bit more conservative and need to be nudged into it. But I think the, the message is that a little bit of pain is acceptable if it's acceptable to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. And I think we do also at some point, maybe not today, want to chat about differential between hip labral pathology and hip stress fracture. Because yeah. I think those are the two things when you're evaluating a runner with hip pain that is really important. Um, maybe we can save that for, for next week. Yeah, we really get specific about how we might look at that, how we might evaluate and assess those things um, to ensure that we're doing best by our clientele. Absolutely. Looking yeah. forward to it. Same. Also, <laughs> we should mention we're planning on having guests this season. I don't know if we mentioned it last week Didn't, or not. No. Yes. <laughs> yes, we are. We, um, <clears throat> To be transparent, I don't think we've asked them to, to come yet. on yet. No, but I'm sure they will oblige yes. to see when, yes. when the date works. It might be later in the season. Yes, um, but we, we've got some exciting topics to discuss um, that we'll reveal later because it's going to be a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And if you're looking for coaching, Team CSU is accepting new coaching clients. So contact either one of us and we will chat and see if we're a good fit for you. Yeah, we are open. (laughs) Yeah, sweet. And that's it. All right, that's it. Bye. Bye. Bye.